0: This is our final sermon in this series we've been preaching called, Who is Jesus? And today I want to say, in answer to that question, who is Jesus? He is the one who lived, died, and lives again. He is the one who lived, died, and lives again. In Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus says to John, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. I want to talk to you this morning about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it signifies. And I want to do that so that sinners can find rest from the weariness of their sins and that Christians can rejoice and worship with new attention and new feeling about what God has done for them in Christ, in Christ. Today, we're celebrating the greatest day in history, Easter Sunday. Easter, Jesus rose from the dead over 2,000 years ago now. And, uh, well, just about 2,000 years ago, I reckon. I think 2020, 2027 will be 2000, the 2,000-year 2,000 anniversary of it. But that single event of that day changed the world. Changed the world. The world has never been the same since Jesus came out of the ground. Jesus was a regional celebrity. A regional personality. He was God in flesh, but nobody believed it. Very few people did. He had some followers. He had 12 guys who he ran around with, his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples. They went around doing miracles and preaching the truth. One of those guys was a traitor. By the time Jesus comes to the cross, the number of people that are following him is smaller than when he began. The Bible says that thousands followed Jesus, thousands followed Him. But when He began to teach some particular things, people said, I'm not going to go along with that anymore, that's too crazy. Read John chapter 6 and you'll see that. Right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fishes, the people are all just, man, this guy is the guy. And then Jesus says, nobody can follow me except I let them follow me. And you have to eat and drink my body, and you have to eat my body and drink my blood if you're going to have everlasting life. And the people, they say, now, wait a minute. That sounds crazy. And so, a lot of people left him. By the time he gets to the cross of Calvary where he dies, there are only maybe four or five people around. His mother was there, of course, John the Beloved was there, and a few others, mostly ladies. But he was all abandoned. By the time Jesus, but after he rises from the dead, the number of people who follow Jesus starts growing. Within about two months of his resurrection from the dead, there are over 3,000 Christians in the city of Jerusalem. Within a couple months of of Pentecost, the day when 3,000 people were saved, 5,000 people are saved. So it it grows quite a bit. And then persecution comes, and the Christians, they scatter all across that part of the world taking the gospel with them. And within just a few hundred years, just a few hundred years, Christianity overtakes the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the great colossal power of the world. And within a few hundred years, without a sword, without a gun, without a battle, Jesus and his gospel had impacted the Roman Empire to the point that even the wives of the Caesars are becoming Christians. The senators are becoming Christians, soldiers becoming Christians, slaves. Christianity is sweeping the world. The world's never been the same. Now, here in America, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting the way Christianity has impacted the, the, the world. We see it here in America. Because no matter where you are in America, Sunday is viewed as what? Church day by most people. Church Day, by most people. Here in Oklahoma, it's fascinating to me that on Wednesday nights, hardly ever is there a high school football game, basketball game, soccer game, volleyball game, that ever takes place on a Sunday. And even more than that, hardly ever on a Wednesday. Because our culture has been impacted by Christianity in a massive and incredible way. Christianity has been around a long time, and Christianity is here to stay regardless of what you might think. Christianity has existed under monarchies, police states, in republics, and in primitive tribes. Christianity is everywhere. It's hard to find a place where it has not been, where it hasn't touched. What is the cause of it? What has caused Christianity to have such a seismic impact on the world? And I want to give you seven things about that, all right? Seven things. Well, we won't be at, we won't, we will not be here past noon, I promise. But seven things. Number one, the reason why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so impactful is because Jesus, according to John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was very God in flesh, He was the creator. He was the God who spoke things into existence. He was made flesh and dwelt amongst men. He was God in flesh. He was the source of everlasting life. He's the giver of life, and he became flesh. He became flesh so that you and I, poor, miserable sinners, could be saved. But Jesus was made flesh, born of a woman, but he was not a sinner by his birth. You and I, we are sinners by our birth. We are sinners. We come forth from the womb speaking lies. You don't have to teach any of your kids to lie, cheat, or steal. They come by it naturally. It's in their nature to take advantage. It's in their nature. But Jesus was not that way. He was the holy child. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 says that holy child Jesus from the womb, he's without sin. Jesus was God in flesh. And without sin. Now, I want to kind of direct your attention to a different thing for a minute. Secondly, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We die because we are guilty of sin. Our bodies wear out, rust out, and give out because of sin. We are weakened by diseases, and suffer at the hands of the natural forces of the world we live in because of sin. We perish because of our own sinfulness. Not just because of our own sinfulness do we perish, but we also perish because of the sins of other people. Sin kills us. Your sinfulness weakens you. It also puts you in a precarious position because your sins not only mean that you're going to die... The fact that you're a sinner not only means that you're going to die, but also means that you could die because of someone else's sins. Just a few weeks ago, that crazy man went into that store in uh, Colorado with a gun and started shooting people. He was committing the sin of murder. And while he's committing the sin of murder, he's killing other people who are dying. People say, well, he's killing the innocent. In one sense, yes, but in another sense, they're sinners. And the wages of sin is death. The reason why you live under the constant threat of death is because you are a sinner. Sometimes we die because of our own sins. Sometimes we die because of the sins of other people. Suicide bombers, school shooters, all those things. People die because they are sinners. You may say, well, why why are you bringing it up right now? I thought we're talking about Jesus. I thought we're talking about Christ and the resurrection. Why are you on my back all of a sudden telling me that I'm a sinner? Well, Jesus was not a sinner, but Revelation 1, 18, which we read, says that he died. The wages of sin is death. Because you're a sinner, you die. Jesus died, but Jesus was not a sinner. Acts chapter 4 says that he was the holy child of God. It's also in Luke 2 and Isaiah 7. They all say that Jesus was born of a virgin by the generating or life-giving power of God, which means he was born without sin. You see, your sinfulness is passed down to you through your father, our first father, Adam. All of the sons and daughters of Adam are sinners. That means you and I, we're all sinners, the descendants of Adam. Now, if the wages of sin is death and Jesus was not a sinner, then Jesus could not die, right? He couldn't die, but he did die. Well, what's what's the deal here? If he was not a sinner and the wages of sin is death, but he never sinned, so he couldn't die, then how in the world can this man die? It's because Jesus came to die not for his own sins, he came to die for your sins. This is the greatest truth you'll ever, my friend. If you can ever understand that Jesus died for your sins, you will never be the same. He died for your sins willingly, knowingly, lovingly. He wanted to do it at the Last Supper. He said in Luke, he said, with desire, I've wanted to eat this Passover with you. Because he knew it was the last Passover. He knew that this was the final one. And then he's going to go and save sinners by dying on the cross. He knew that's what was going to happen and he wanted to do it. He loved us from eternity and came into this world to take away our sins. He came to die for sin. Now, I want you to take your Bible, if you have one, and turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. If you don't have a Bible, you know, whip out your phone and type into Google 2 Corinthians 5.21. Type in 2COR 5.21. It'll probably take you right to it. Or look on with somebody else. My friend Don Fortner, who's now with the Lord, he said, "This this passage of scripture is the greatest reading in the Bible." He said, "This is the greatest." So much so that there, in my office, Don he wrote he wrote a couple of books and he inscribed them to me. And the and the, what he signed under his name he signed 2 Corinthians five twenty one. This became kind of his verse for all of his ministry. Don all he was all he wanted to do was preach the gospel of reconciliation. In fact. He preached it so much that some people say that's all he ever preached was the gospel of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to, listen to what it says. It says, For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. The us is you and me who knew no sin that we, you and I, might be made the righteousness of God in him. God. God laid upon Christ the sins of all who would believe in him. All of your sins. I don't just mean your, your little, <laughs> your kindergarten sins. I mean your graduate level sins. I mean the sins that you got a PhD for, the kind of sins that make sailors blush and mamas cry. Your sins laid upon Christ. He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. An innocent sin bearer taking your sins on Himself and dying in your place because you deserve to die. And taking those sins upon Himself so completely that He dies and goes into the heart of the earth God made Jesus guilty of our sins so that we could be made righteous, so we could be made sinless. Don had a story he was preaching. Don Ford was preaching in Illinois, and he had a radio broadcast that extended up into Illinois, and he got a letter from a man who was on death row in the Illinois State Penitentiary. The guy wrote him a letter and said, Don, would you please come see me? And so Don was up there one time and he went to see the guy. And the guy said, Don, I've been hearing what you're saying on the radio. And I believe, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he hath made him to be sin for us that knew no sin though me, that I could be made the righteousness of God in him. A guy who is on death row for killing somebody. He came to realize that Jesus died for him too. Now I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you've done. Only you know what you've done. Only you know what you've thought of doing. And the thought of foolishness is sin. You know you. And God knows you. And God knew you before you ever, before you ever were. Before you ever existed. Jesus died 2,000 years ago. I wasn't born until 1978. I became a Christian in 1993. God knew me long before. And Jesus died for those who would believe in Him long ago, knowing what you would be, knowing how bad you'd be. He laid your sins on Jesus. Isaiah 53 says that God the Father bruised and crushed Jesus, not for the sins that Jesus committed, but for the sins that you and I have committed. And he crushed him and bruised him. He had to suffer. Sin has to be paid for. The wages of sin is death. It never changes. What we deserve for our sin is death. But Jesus died in our place. He died a substitutionary death. He took our place on Calvary. On Calvary, God placed the sin of those who would believe on him onto Jesus. Jesus on the cross began to suffer. He cried out in agony. He became the object of God's wrath, so that you could go free. Think of it like this: if somebody wanted to do harm to want somebody in my family, I would stand between my wife and my kids and take the harm. You know, we got the Secret Service, right? You guys know what the Secret Service does—they protect the president. And you know, and what they're supposed to do is, if the president is walking down the street and guns go off, what happens when you hear a gun go off? Well, if you live in Lawton, you look out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Who's shooting? <laughs> this happened not long ago at our house, man. Guy walking down the street and had a pistol and pow, 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 take some shots up in the air. Man, we looked out the window. Who are they shooting at? <laughs> But well, normal, normal people, not Lawtonians, <laughs> hear gunshots and what happens? They hit the dirt. Hit the deck. But a Secret Service agent, when they hear shots, they swell up. They make themselves big. They don't hit the ground. They become a shield. They become a shield to protect the president. And Jesus Christ... The wrath of God coming towards you and I in our death. The wage of sin is death. But Jesus Christ coming between us and God's wrath and being crushed, bruised, and wounded for our sins. Dying for our sins. Becoming the object of God's wrath for our sins. Suffering the bitter cup of God's wrath. And under this penal wrath of God, Jesus cried out. To give you some idea of how powerful this and real this was, on the cross, in the Gospel of John, Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the way through the New Testament, Jesus has talked about God as being his father. And about the connection he has with the Father. But on the cross, when Jesus was made sin for us, Jesus says, my God, my God, not no longer, doesn't call him my Father. Calls him my God, my God, because something is happening in his feeling, in his relationship to God, now he's become guilty of sin. He's estranged from God in a sense. And he says, why have you forsaken me? This is a great mystery in my opinion. Because Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one being. Three persons in one being. But in that moment on the cross, Jesus, for the first time in his whole existence, feels absent, feels disconnected from his Father and the Holy Spirit. And he says, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Theologians describe it as God turning his back. On Jesus, And when that happens, the Bible says the whole world went dark. The whole world went dark for a few hours. Darkness falling upon the world. Because something incredible is taking place. The wrath of, of God is poured out on Jesus. And an earthquake takes place. Some theologians say that this earthquake cracked every rock in the world, that it cracked the earth itself. Cracking, cracking, cracking. That may not be true, but it is something worth thinking about. All the wrath of God, for all the sin ever committed, aimed at one person in one spot at one time. All the force of God's wrath... Crushing, That's the, the Bible uses this word, bruising and crushing him, Isaiah 53. Taking your sins on himself. God doing that, punishing Jesus, and Jesus saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then after that, Jesus, the Bible says in John 19, verse 30, Jesus as a conscious and willing sufferer for sins. Here's what he says in John 19, 30 it's finished it is finished and they say that the greek word there is totalistai which is an accounting term that means it's finished it means the it's paid you ever got a bill you ever got a bill in the mail don't you love bills you ever you ever had a when i was a kid we had payment books you know for your car and you out your payment book and mail it in now they just you know they, they do it through your digitally you get a payment book and when you pay off a car or pay off your four-wheeler or pay off your house or pay off your tattoo, <laughs> when, you, when you get a bill paid off, they send you that last bill and they stamp it. I like it. I like getting the ones with the stamp on it. They stamp paid in full right on it. And you when you get one of those, friends, don't throw it away. Put it in the file cabinet, put it in your sock drawer, but don't throw it away. Because that's important because they ever come back on you, you say... Look what I got. Paid in full. And they say, okay. This term that Jesus says, it is finished, that is him saying, it's paid for. It's done. God's been satisfied. God's been appeased. And the Bible says, he says, it is finished. He bows his head and gives up the ghost. He dies. He dies. He voluntarily delivered up his soul and spirit as payment for the satisfaction of God so that you and I could be accepted by God, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. What What I'm saying when I say that is that if you have put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, God accepts you as if you were Jesus himself. You say, all that for faith? Yeah. All that for faith because Jesus died. Because Jesus died. Jesus died because he wanted to die. He gave up his life in exchange for ours. He saved us. And Jesus died. And his soul and spirit went into the heart of the earth, into the realm of the dead. The realm of the dead was a place from which Jesus had delivered people. Four or five times in the Gospels read about Jesus raising some, someone from the dead. But now Jesus is dead. Who's going to raise Jesus from the dead? Who's going to get him out of the grave? He said, after three days, I will rise again. Who's going to raise him? Well, God raised him. Acts 13.30 says, God raised him from the dead. Acts 17.31, God hath raised him from the dead. Galatians 1, God hath raised him from the dead. Ephesians 1.20, God hath raised him from the dead. Colossians 2.12, God hath raised him from the dead. I mean, God raised Jesus from the dead. Because the debt of sin had been paid. Why did God do it? Because Jesus had satisfied divine justice. You guys know somebody who's got a who's been got a police record. They've been they got a, they got put in jail. They have to go down that to pay their debt to society, right? They got to go down and go to prison or go to the jail, whatever it is. They get to get out of jail when they've paid when the price is paid when they've when they've paid up. It's done. They're out. Jesus went to the grave three days and three nights to pay for the the sins of. Of people. And because the wrath of God had been completely satisfied, justice had been accomplished, the sentence had been fulfilled. Because the wrath of God against sin had been satiated or satisfied, God raises him from the dead. We could say it like this that the just wrath of God and his holy indignation towards sin and sinners had been appeased. By the blood and death of Christ. So now Jesus can come out of the grave. Now the evidence that God was appeased and satisfied. Is that he raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the receipt. It's the proof of purchase. It's the bill that says paid in full. The sins have been paid for. No other person has ever done that. I want you to think with me just for a second. People die and go to hell because they're sinners. They die and go to hell because they're sinners. And they stay there forever. You know, I was was watching something as, as a European thing, and they said if a guy gets convicted of murder, that it's a life sentence in Europe, automatic, he gets convicted, which means he's got to do 15 years. That's a life sentence in in the United Kingdom, fifteen years. Fifteen years. But after fifteen years, you get to get out, right? That's what they say. Fifteen years you get out. But a person who dies and goes to hell, how long does a person gotta be in hell before they get to get out? How long do they get to how long do they have to be in hell before their sins are all paid for? Let's say so you got a you got a seventy five year old dude. 75-year-old guy. Does he, if, he, if he's in hell for 75 years, does he get to come out? No. Well, what, if, what, if, what, if, what if he goes for 80 years? Can he get out if he does 80 years in hell? No. What if he's in hell for 1,000 years? Does he get to get out? No, he does not. What if he's in hell for a million years? doesn't get out. You see, a sinner suffering for his sins can never satisfy divine justice because they're a sinner. can never satisfy divine justice. In Isaiah 53, it says that God sees the travail of Jesus' soul in the place of torment and is satisfied and is satisfied but God looks down at the place of torment and sees a man, a woman, a young person who's died because of their sins, and he's never satisfied. Their suffering is never enough. Just ongoing. You say, well, that sounds kind of extreme to me. That's because you and I do not understand what's, <laughs> how bad sin really is. You and I got—we got little sins and big sins. We got sins we don't mind. Have you ever bragged to somebody about a sin you committed? Ever brag? I have. What about—what about this? You got sins you committed you'd never tell anybody about. You got anything like that? I do. (laughs) We we have sins in all these categories, but God's got them in one category. You sin against me; you deserve to go to hell. And my friends, every one of you have sinned against God and deserve to go to hell. Every one of you. You say, you don't know me very well. I don't have to know you very well. I can see you and I know. God's word says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. And you can go to hell, but you'll never satisfy God's wrath. You'll never satisfy divine justice. Only Jesus could do that. Jesus was accounted by God as a sinner. And he treated him like a sinner. And he bore our sins. Then he rose again. In Romans 4, 23 to 25, if you want to turn and look, look at it, you can. It says that Jesus died for our sins. But it says he was raised again for our justification. We can be saved. We can put our faith in Jesus and be saved because he rose from the dead and his resurrection is the proof that Jesus paid for and satisfied the demands of justice. Jesus was raised for us. He was not raised for himself. He was raised from the dead so you and I could get the benefit of it. You see, friends, the resurrection is fundamental to our future as Christians. Because our Savior lives, we can and do live. Revelation 1.18 is where we started. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. But then he says, and I will die no more. Listen to the reading. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. No more death for Jesus. His one offering on the cross was enough. And my friends, I don't like to poke fun at other churches, but there's a church in this town that every single day, they re-offer Jesus Christ in a physical offering, they think, every single day, every single day. And today is one of their highest days of the year, Easter Sunday, where a priest will stand before a congregation, And hold up some bread, a little little round circle. And he'll say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Reoffering Christ. Day after day, and they can't stop doing it. Even during the COVID times, they kept on doing these offerings, even with nobody there. Because if they ever stop offering Christ, guess what happens? There ain't no salvation for anybody. But Jesus was offered one time on the cross. And that one offering satisfied God's wrath and justice and makes salvation available to you. Jesus says, I am alive forevermore. And so will you be if you believe the gospel. If you put your faith in Jesus for your sins you'll be alive forevermore. Now here's the last thing I want to say to you. This is number seven. <laughs> number seven. Jesus has the keys of death and hell. That's what it says in Revelation 18. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now what does that mean? It means that Jesus has the authority or the power over death and hell. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. He raised the dead while he was on the earth, didn't he? And Jesus will again raise the dead in the last day. He'll raise all the dead saints. All of your friends and family who've died in Christ and are buried. They're going to live again. Jesus is going to raise them from the dead. Let me just say this to you. I got a feeling that people, that that we're probably going to be surprised that some of the people... Who Jesus raises who are Christians. And we didn't know it. Because people get saved and don't often tell their friends or family. You know you know how long it takes to become a Christian? Not long at all. Lord, I believe. How long does that take? Jesus saved me. God be merciful. I mean, it doesn't take long at all. Let me tell you this story. Andrew Fuller was a Christian pastor. Baptist pastor in England. Andrew Fuller had a couple sons. One of his sons was a real, <laughs> was a real knucklehead. He tried to get him settled into a trade, into an occupation. He apprenticed him to people in England back in those days, this was the 18th century, 19th century. You know, let's say we got Matt. Matt's about about 11. How old are you, Matt? <laughs> Matt's going to be 11. But he's 10, so it means he's 10 right now. And so you take a kid like Matt, you take him down to Billy, Billy Burton's farm. And you say, okay, Billy, I want you to make Matt into a farmer. I'll pick him up in five years. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't sound any fun. Because Miss Sharon's nice, but she ain't mama nice. (laughs) And Brother Billy's nice, but he ain't nice as I am. At least I hope he ain't as nice as me. (laughs) Matt might like him better than me. But you drop your kid down off for five years. I'll pick him up in five years. And a a kid's like, man, I'm sick of this. So he ran off from his apprenticeship. It happened over and over again. The kid would not be settled in any occupation. Finally, he joined the Navy. You know what that does to people? The Navy became became a wicked man. His father would write him letters. His father's a pastor, a Baptist pastor. Son, please come to Christ. Look to the Lord. Never could get the kid squared away. Finally, the boy dies at sea. His father hadn't seen him in about 10 years. The kid dies. Gets sick and gets a fever, and they bury him at sea. As far as Andrew Fuller knew, his son was not converted. Not converted. Andrew Fuller was kind of a famous preacher. He wrote a lot of books. was kind of well-known. He ran into somebody who was a ship's captain who said, Hey, he was talking about his family. And he said, I was at sea with a boy named Fuller and told him his name. I believe his name was Robert. And he said, I went to sea with a man named Robert Fuller. And Andrew Fuller said, that was my son, I think. He was on that same ship. I knew him. I was there when he died, his friend says. You were? Yeah. He said, I've never seen a more radiant Christian in my life. He was a person who loved Jesus, a man of prayer, a man of piety, Andrew Fuller was blown away. Now, I got the story back. I have said something wrong. Andrew Fuller died not long after his son died, right? It was Andrew Fuller's son who ran into a guy who knew his brother who told him that his brother had become a Christian. And nobody had known it for a long time. And what really gets me in that story is that Andrew Fuller died, thinking his son, who had already died, was, died lost and was in hell. But when Andrew Fuller got to heaven, guess who he met in heaven? His kid was already there. Because the boy became a Christian, his dad never even knew it. So in the resurrection day, when Jesus raises the dead, there'll be some people who are Christians, and we'll be surprised because we thought they weren't Christians. Maybe they didn't have time to tell us. Maybe life kept him from telling us, but I think there'll be, some, there'll, be some, there'll be some happy surprises in the resurrection. But then there'll be this other resurrection where Jesus raises everybody else from the dead. And those people will be appointed to judgment. When Jesus has the keys of death and hell, it means he has the power. He has the authority. It is Jesus who will judge people in Revelation 20 and sentence them to damnation forever. He who lived without sin and died for sinners will be the judge. And that last day, Jesus, Jesus himself will condemn the unbelieving to everlasting torment. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, There will be people who will say in that day, Lord, Lord, look, look at all the things I've done. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, if you get to the last day and you're dependent on your works to get you into heaven, they ain't going to make it. Lord, look, look, I, get, I helped all these old ladies across the street. I roof people's houses for free. I, I volunteered at the homeless shelter. Works are not going to save you, friend. Only Jesus can save you by putting your faith in him. Now, my, here's my final appeal to you. 27 things, all right? Just four. And if you're not listening or haven't been listening, just listen now for just a few seconds. I beg you, I beg you in the name of Jesus Christ. I beg you. Believe the gospel. Trust in Jesus now. You say, I don't know if I know enough to trust in Jesus. If you know that you're a sinner and Jesus is the only one who can save you, trust in Jesus now. Don't leave this room. Without trusting in Jesus. Don't leave it. Don't leave that seat. Without trusting in Jesus. Don't wait. Do it now. You say what do I have to do? The Bible says call upon him. Calling upon Jesus to save you is as simple as saying Jesus. Save me. Jesus save me. Jesus is the only one who can Save you, He's the only one who will save you. Like you are, doesn't matter what's back there in the back, doesn't matter what lies in the past. Jesus says, "Come unto me, come unto me." I'm going to read read Romans ten, nine to thirteen, and we'll be in that. Let's all stand together. I'll read this passage and it'll be our benediction. All right, Romans ten. Nine to thirteen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Just as I'm saying, we're to, we're leaving. I'm going to read this, and we're done. All right, Romans ten, nine to thirteen. It'd be helpful if I turn to Romans instead of Corinthians. The word is. And this is Romans ten eight. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.